0: Get out of seventy seven. <laughs> ah Star Wars <laughs> Nothing but Star And welcome to another rebellious episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and a galaxy far, far away. I'm Ryan Daly, and it is my honor and privilege to welcome this episode's guest, my wife and the reigning battleship champion in our household, Angela Drew. What's up, Angie?
1: It was a draw. I'll give you that.
0: You won the last game.
1: It is true. It is true. We,
0: we played two. We each won one. And I think for the sake of our marriage, we stopped there.
1: It was it was a sound strategy. <laughs> I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Uh, you, were, you are an oft-requested guest, I should say. Lots of people want to hear from you.
1: Your your listeners are very intelligent people.
0: I, just, I, I don't like cheating them that much. But, um, As I teased at the end of the last episode, we are here to discuss a story arc from the Star Wars comics published by Marvel, but not the original series published in the 1970s and 80s. This is a much more recent story. After Disney purchased Lucasfilm, the comic book publishing rights for Star Wars returned to Marvel after Dark Horse Comics had the license since 1993. In 2015, Marvel published a brand new Star Wars Issue 1, picking up on the story of Luke Skywalker and his friends in the Rebel Alliance right after the destruction of the Death Star scene in the first movie. Of course, this era had been well-trod in other comics, novels, video games, and etc., But this was an all-new canon, and it was considered the official series of events, whereas previous stories from about this time are now viewed as out of continuity. For a review of Star Wars Issue 1, you could go back to one of my earliest podcasts, Episode 5 of Dead Boffin Spies, where I reviewed the comic with Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shag. If you do check that episode out, let me know how the audio quality is, because I've been too afraid to go back and listen. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing back then. Anyway, that series of comics ran for 75 issues, and then in 2020, because Marvel can't help themselves, they relaunched Star Wars with a new issue one that would chronicle the events of Luke, Leia, and the others in the immediate aftermath of The Empire Strikes Back. Angie and I are here to talk about the first series, specifically a six-issue story arc with the ominous title Hope Dies, which ran from issue 50 to 55. The first chapter, issue 50, was published on July 4th, 2018, and the rest of the arc was published over several weeks and months, with the conclusion hitting comic stores on October 3rd that year. Before we dive into this story and recap the plot, it should be noted that this story was Angie's discovery. You brought this one to my attention, and after we looked at it, you suggested it would be good for a podcast. So can you share for the listeners how you heard about this story, and what was sort of the curious progression that led to this?
1: Well, something that your listeners might need to know for context is I sometimes just ask random questions of myself and my fandoms, and then I do some research, aka I start looking stuff up on the internet, and then I end up going down some um, rabbit holes, and <laughs> and hours later I I end up um, in, a, in a totally different land, um, and I have been I don't know why I've been plagued by this question of Jardin's ship um, may it rest in peace the Razorcrest, and how it often shows up with its name italicized as if that is the name of the ship and yet it's first mentioned in the first episode of the mandalorian his bounty recognizes the ship and and says something like oh that's pre-empire razor crest or other way around like that's a razor that's the that's a razor crest pre-empire um and the fact that this random you know being knew the name of the ship like said to me that it wasn't the name of the ship, just like the Millennium Falcon is um, a YT 3000 freighter, but that's not its name. It's almost like amusing that he, he didn't name it. Like he, he didn't give his ship a name. It's just like, you know, it's like, you know, the Bronco or the Camaro. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so anyway, so I, I I was looking up ships right on, on Wikipedia and kind of like chasing down this idea of um you know does it not have because I, I guess it doesn't have a transponder right we see that mm-hmm. in what was that the second episode of the second season right. so i was right. trying to i was trying to figure out like is it something about the transponder like is that where the name is and so yeah it was it was a very geeky search that got me um delving into the millennium falcons history and trying to figure out like and, and it has a history of having different transponders and, and call signs and I discovered that the, the Millennium Falcon, sometime between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, was dealt a tremendous amount of damage during a um, during a battle for a new re- um, rebellion space station called Mako Ta. So I started delving into the story and, and realized that it was in this Marvel series. And then I mentioned it to you, and you looked it up, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't think anybody listening will probably will have any trouble imagining the going down the rabbit hole of <laughs> this type of research thing. And in particular, Wikipedia, once you start going down like the Star Wars rabbit holes, like that, that that's not like a rabbit hole. That's more like, like the Maw Cluster outside Kessel where it's just black hole upon black hole upon black right? hole. And
1: they've got all these links. Right? Yeah, like, of it, course. They just yeah. draw you in. It is like, a, it is like a black mm-hmm. hole. It's the gravity of all <laughs> yes. the entries. Yeah.
0: <laughs> We were both somewhat experienced and versed in the Star Wars comics because we read the first couple years. I am not—I don't remember how far you got, but when they started in 2015, I read the Darth Vader series uh, that ran for 24 issues. That, that was for two years. And then I think I read the Star Wars series that was going concurrent with it, which is with this series that we're going to be talking to. But I think I only read up to issue... Uh, 25, maybe I got as far as 30. Um, so once they were talking about issues, once we were getting into issue 50, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff in here that I wasn't familiar with, like the direct setup to the story. Um, and I've, I've gone back a little bit and started to plug some of those holes, but I was impressed that pretty much all the information you need isn't the first issue that we're going to be covering. So.
1: No, it's, uh, the, this, these Marvel series are are a little overwhelming, even for a Star Wars fan. They, mm. um, there's many of them, the fact that they start renumbering them. Um, <laughs> I am still really interested in us doing another one of these for the the Screaming Citadel story, which is not nearly the story that this, that the Hope Dies story arc is, but it's still pretty amusing. And I think just kind of incredible in that it's what, three different books that keep crossing over on each other? <laughs> so you have to keep. You have to keep switching if you want to read just the story arc. You have to keep switching between different, um, like Darth Vader, Star Wars, um, the Afra, like Doctor Afra series. You just have to keep hopping between them. And I'm like, what writer? Like, it's so antagonistic. Like, that, what writer? That like, is imagine- a.
0: That is a classic uh, approach to crossovers that the big two companies like Marvel and DC always do, is they they have storylines that thread between different comics in the hope that if you, okay, maybe you've been reading the Darth Vader book and you've never read the regular story or you've never read Dr. Afra, but you have to read that issue of Dr. Afra to catch to follow the next chapter. Their hope is that you like that one enough that you buy the next chapter of Dr. Afra. And it's it's a sales technique. They want you to buy all the issues. So that is that is something that the comics have been doing for 30, 30 years or so. Yeah.
1: It makes anyway. me want to curl up and cry. <laughs>
0: there, there should be. There should be a more linear way of following those storylines. And yeah, we definitely might get to the the Screaming Citadel one at some point in the future. Um, But for now, we're going to talk about the story Hope Dies. And the story arc is written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Salvador LaRocca, colored by Guru FX, lettered by Clayton Cowles, and edited by Tom Groenman and Mark Paniccia. All right. Hope Dies Part 1 from Star Wars Issue 50. A large fleet of rebel warships assembles at the Makota shipyards for a grand launching ceremony. General Jandadana, Admiral Akbar, General Harris Sindula, and dozens of other commanders report from their capital ships, while Mon Mothma and Princess Leia host a commencement party at the Makota station for rebel ambassadors and dignitaries. Queen Trios of the planet Shutorin congratulates Princess Leia on building such an impressive fleet. Leia says it truly was a collaborative effort. Most of the ships were built by Mon but many of the operating systems were provided by Trios' own people, and the crews and ships and starfighter corps and marines came from thousands of different worlds who all want to overthrow the evil empire. Elsewhere in the galaxy, Han Solo, Chewbacca, and C-3PO wrap up a deal of some sort and then escape from a pair of bounty hunters. They board the Millennium Falcon and fly to Makota, hoping to catch part of the ceremony. At Makota, Luke Skywalker and his X-Wing squadron perform some fancy aerial maneuvers with colorful jet trails for the watching dignitaries. Kind of like the outer space version of an air show before they dock in General Dodonna's flagship, the Republic. Manmafma gives a speech officially putting the rebel fleet into active service. On Dodonna's order, all of the ships are to disperse, jumping into hyperspace along different routes.
1: But when the order is given, none of the ships go anywhere. Leia tries to call Dodonna, but their communications are down. Across the entire fleet, Hyperdrive, weapons, and inner ship communications are down. And that's when the Empire shows up. A group of Star Destroyers, themselves dwarfed by one massive Super Star Destroyer, the Executor, Darth Vader's starship. On the bridge, Admiral Ozzel tells Lord Vader that they are ready to attack. But Vader makes him wait. Right now, the Rebels are confused. He wants them to be afraid. He wants to feel their terror as the magnitude of the situation is made clear. On the Republic, Luke's X-Wing squad prepares to launch, but they're forced to abort when the bay doors refuse to open. None of the starfighters in any of the ships can launch because the bay doors are malfunctioning, or sabotaged. Leia and General Draven realize that the malfunctioning systems, hyperdrives, and communications were provided by Shutorin, whose Queen Trios has vanished from the party. Now the Rebels know how screwed they are. Darth Vader finds their amount of fear satisfactory and orders the first Rebel cruiser destroyed.
0: In a backup story illustrated by Giuseppe Camoncoli with Cam Smith, we find out how we got to this event. Months earlier, Vader was listening to Admiral Ozzel make excuses for why they couldn't destroy all the Rebels. General Veers makes a passing comment that the rebels are too spread out, too disorganized, too immaterial to be crushed with force. Vader realizes they need to be a bigger target. He goes to Shutorin and makes a deal with Queen Trios. She will infiltrate the rebellion and provide them with the weapons and software systems that will help them create a fleet, one big enough to make them overconfident and big enough to be crushed under his boot." In return for her betrayal, Vader promises Queen Trios that he won't turn her planet into the next Alderaan.
1: Part 2 Queen Trios gets to her private ship and orders her crew to fly away from the Mako-Ta station. But before they can take off, the ship is boarded by Princess Leia leading a squad of rebel marines. Trios gets to an escape pod. Leia gets close enough to ask why she betrayed them, and Trios says she did it to save her planet. Then her escape pod fires out into space. Aboard General Dudana's flagship, Luke, Wedge, and the rest of their squad watch in helpless anguish as the Empire lazily pulverizes them, one ship at a time. At the station, Leia and Draven discover that the launch bay doors' proximity alarms still work, so any rebel ship that flies at the bay doors can open them. But none of the pilots know that, and Leia has no way to get the message to the fleet.
0: That is, until the Millennium Falcon drops into the Makota system behind the Imperials. C-3PO opens a channel with Leia and she explains the situation to Han. She asks Han to fly into the bay doors of the rebel ships and get the word to the fighters that they can launch. The starfighters will buy the fleet enough time to fix the sabotaged hyperdrives. She hopes. Not wanting to hear the odds of their success, Han and Chewie pilot the Falcon through the Imperial fleet. They shoot up one of the Star Destroyers so it'll launch TIE Fighters to chase them. Han figures their chances of getting to the Rebel fleet are better with TIEs chasing them than with the Star Destroyers battering them. And for the moment, it looks like he is correct that they're home free until the Falcon is rocked by attack from a special TIE Fighter. Darth Vader has the Falcon in his sights and payback on his mind.
1: Part 3 Darth Vader chases the Millennium Falcon, preventing Han from flying close enough to any of the Rebel ships to get through the bay doors. Han gets an idea, but he needs to put some distance between the Falcon and Vader. He flies into the exploding wreckage of one of the Rebel ships. With Vader's view of the Falcon obstructed, Han launches an escape pod from the Falcon to General Dudana's ship. Aboard the pod is C-3PO. While the Falcon leads Vader's tie on a chase, a badly damaged C-3PO crawls through an airlock and finds Luke and R2-D2, giving him the message that the doors will open for Rebel ships. Luke and R2 jump in his X-Wing to test it. Dudanna orders them to stand down, but Luke disregards the order, just like the Rebel hero Jin Erso that he'd heard about. Just when it seems like he's going to crash, the doors open and Luke rockets out into space. The rest of his squad launches right after him. They form up on Luke, who, in honor of Jin Erso, rechristens the flight group Rogue Squadron.
0: All right, we're halfway through the story. Uh, let's take a quick break here and discuss what's happened so far. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the first three chapters?
1: Well, there's a lot of interesting setup in these the, the, first few parts for um, some action that we'll see later. We see in the first party, that party where Mon uh, Mothma and Leia are kind of celebrating this new fleet, that both Mon Mothma and uh, Queen Trios really praise Leia for this accomplishment and kind of say over and over again that she's the one who, who brought this together and she's the one who, um, you know, should be celebrating this victory and and leia does try to deflect that and say like a lot of people were involved but um there's some interesting um parallels between trios and leia both um monarchs of planets Mm -hmm. um but leia without a planet and trios um as we'll we'll see soon trying to hold on to hers the, the air show seems kind of random, but like that comes back later. It's like kind of a weird setup. Yeah. Um, I love that Harris Doula, Like, there's there's lots of like little name drops in this. Um, I love that Harris Doula is there. We don't get a lot from her in this first part, but she she comes back. So um, I'm excited about that. Something though, I I don't know how you're feeling about this, but Vader. Darth Vader, his character changes slightly in his different appearances. Like the, the the Darth Vader we see in A New Hope, is not the Darth Vader we see in Empire Strikes Back, is mm-hmm. not the Darth Vader that we see, you know, in Rogue One. Um, right. But it's it's interesting how how his character shifts. But in this sequence, like this story arc, he is just such a drama Sith Lord. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, as we as we every time every time we see him he has like some sort of like we like he does not make sound like strategic decisions um for the sake of drama yeah for <laughs> like, performance yeah right it's it's all a performance and it it even is his commanding off like his his officers um Working underneath him are kind of like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's it's just it's every time it's for his for his mic drop moment. So um, as we go through, I'm going to keep saying, okay, here's another mic drop moment from Vader, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and one of them is like they they appear right. He brings his entire fleet, and really the the Vader that we see in like a New Hope would just come in and, and start destroying the ships. Right. He's just very like um, pragmatic and he, he does what he needs to do. This Vader like holds off and says, wait, 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 they're not scared enough yet. Like let them stew in their own stress and anxiety for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, and and it very much like he, he uses the force a lot in this like to, um, to basically like feel that stress and fear mm-hmm.
0: I, he, I mean <laughs> this is this is a Vader who wants to punish them for yes, yes. all of the all of the anxiety the stress that they've caused for for embarrassing him by destroying the the death star by mm-hmm. making him work so hard to catch them for for like a year now um right. for for putting him you know in like on the emperor's bad side right. Um, for just like for their arrogance. Yeah, he he wants to to punish them and and he's he's gloating, he's full of pride in the scene because this was also his plan that he has been ex, ex- uh, executing. You know, he he set this up with the Queen Trios, this oh. betrayal that has been set up. And mm. yeah, he like it's and it's also just like I mean, their their fear, their panic makes him more powerful. That's what the dark side he's feeding off of it but yeah it's no yeah like the, plan, the, the mic right. drops and we'll we'll get to the plan but the mic <laughs> drops and, and like the, the the drama moments yeah like it's like what what do you want which what do you want to target first lord vader and he says hope it's like of course yeah
1: oh my gosh right the end like the last frame of that um is it the last frame of the issue
0: that's the first yeah yeah yeah
1: the, the last frame of the first issue like they they say like you know what's our next target and he says hope Hope dies. Like, like, <laughs> can like imagine, can you imagine like a, all like? There's all like a lieutenant behind t- him. It's like, okay, eyes.
0: <laughs> but seriously, which one of which one of the crews is like
1: right, like like. <laughs> um.
0: Right. is that the Moncal ship or the income ship which one is one was yeah. hope
1: yeah. yeah which one's called hope um yeah I, I can you imagine these like super literal like imperial technicians mm-hmm. sir sir i don't read it any yeah. hope out there <laughs> yeah. um, so something like as an english teacher i have to point out the very specific um metaphor that veers uses that that hatches vader's plan yeah <laughs> um, so so Oz is making excuses, Vader's getting mad about that, and and Veers, who I think is another one of those like like under underutilized, like great imperial characters, right? Like in the movies, they all kind of like blend together. But I, I find like in the expanded universe of especially the comics, like these these imperial officers kind of like are are, are more three-dimensional characters. And and Veers is is I think kind of has some potential and this like just this moment where you know vader is ticked off and probably about to kill ozzel and and veer starts talking about how the rebels are weeds and um and in a storm weeds bend and then they pop back up and they they're not hurt by the storm um, in order for the like the empire, which is the storm, to take down the the um, the rebel weeds, they have to be a tree. So you know, basically saying because they have all these tiny cells, they're they're impossible to um, they're impossible to like deal damage to because they're already so small and pathetic. Uh-huh. And so Vader's master plan is to make them stronger. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah. So he he teams up with Trios and basically says, like, "Hey, supply the rebels <laughs> with mm-hmm. with technology and and um, you know hardware that they need to build a better fleet."
0: It's bold. He's he's giving yeah. them what they need in order to make them a bigger target. Now he's also you know you know the the systems are defective so that it's 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 more the illusion of strength
1: right it is a trap and, yeah. and and that line is in there which is great right yes <laughs> yeah. so we got to appreciate that i do think that the the writers could have emphasized a little more that this isn't that stupid of a plan he is um he is coaxing all of the the rebel cells to come together like they are all massed together at this Mako Toss station, which is usually not what the rebels do, right? Mm-hmm. They, at, up to this point, they, they don't mass together in these like huge fleets or so they all have these, these, these right. cells.
0: Right. The entire point of this is that they're, they're gathering as a show of force and demonstration to all of these visiting ambassadors and dignitaries to hopefully recruit even more plants and more right. cells into them. But the whole, the whole point, and they, they talk about this in this story and also the, the story that preceded this issue is that they will all jump to different points, like these predetermined, courses and everything so that the fleet will still be spread out throughout the galaxy, but with the ability to come back together as a huge fleet when they need to like strike at a specific target. Um, so like this is really the one time when they're all going to be gathered. So this is the one time when they're at the same time they at their most powerful, but also their most vulnerable. And that's why the timing here is crucial for the Empire. Um, you mentioned you mentioned how at the beginning, sort of the, the ceremony, and and this for we we've only covered the first half of it, but for these six issues, the first issue is very exposition heavy. It's it's the writer Kieran Gillen setting up the plot, the characters, everything, kind of. It, it's very like wordy heavy and just kind of getting everything known. And then the next five chapters after that are all out action as this big battle. Um, but oh, yeah. I, I like what you were mentioning thinking. how both Mon Mothma and Queen Trios really kind of hammer home that this, this is really Princess Leia's baby. And this is, this was kind of her thing. Um, the, the story arc that did precede this, which I read just, just a, a couple hours ago before we're recording this, um, which is called Mutiny on Mancala. Um, you, you actually get a, a scene with uh, Leia and General Dodana where She – where he he is trying to get them to think about other fallback bases besides Makota, should something happen to Makota, like what else – they can be, you know, like where where else they can evacuate to. And Leia doesn't want to hear it. She thinks it's defeatist talk and they need to be more optimistic. So when everything goes wrong in this, you really see that feeding some of the decisions that Leia is making throughout the story and what she's willing to sacrifice and what limits she's willing to go to in order to save this because she, I mean, she personally vouches for Queen Trios, and, and brings the Shutorin into this into the rebellion and their network and they're the ones that set them up and bring them all down um so you know she she feels every lost life every every capital ship that gets destroyed and every every rebel that dies in the story leia takes it personally so yeah it's a it's a heavy setup in the first chapter
1: yeah and they 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 set up very well the desperation too mm-hmm because um, you know I'm talking about Vader being dramatic, but it, it really is about breaking their spirit. you know they they have this this show of force right They have all these ships, they're amazing. they've got all these these fighters. and then suddenly their hyperdrives don't work. their popo- propulsion uh, like their sublights <laughs> engines don't work. <laughs> their, their comms don't work, their weapons don't work the launch bay doors won't open the only thing they have are their shields that's it and actually someone makes a comment like thank god that they they, they didn't like you know <laughs> produce their, right. their shields um not that it helps them much
0: um, i mean it yeah it like it's the shields only last for so long you know when they're up against the, like a whole a whole armada of star destroyers and and yeah the shields will protect them for a, a short time but yeah they they just get overwhelmed and and one by one their ships are being destroyed and 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 we see like Luke and Wedge and Hobby and Zev just like they're, they're feeling just like trapped like they can't do anything and, and one of them you know is even talking about he's like you know I, I joined the rebellion I always figured I could die but I thought I would die in the cockpit I thought I would die fighting and doing something to just be stranded here watching knowing death is coming and being unable to do anything this is the worst feeling and that's what Vader is cultivating that's what Vader wants them to feel
1: Right. This Vader is like working on psychological warfare, right? Mm-hmm. Like not only, not only in this, this setup of like this trap. I mean, this is what he was also doing to Trios. Like I, I found it's, it's a little detail, but when he go, there's a flashback of when he goes to talk to Trios to basically say like, this is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's this little she has this little pedestal in her I think it's her throne room or like some sort of council meeting room little pedestal with a a, a rock sitting on it. It's a piece of Alderaan yeah. that Va- that Vader gave her. <laughs> it's, like it's just terrifying, right? Like so you can think what you want about Trios, but like that kind that kind of reminder um, is is pretty serious. <laughs> and I mean they don't have the Death Star anymore, but um, I think, I think even, um, it's either, I think it's Ozel in one of the, the other cutscene where, um, where Veers comes up with the, the weeds metaphor. He, he does, he does suggest that they just start bombarding planets. Yep. Yep. It's like, we don't have a Death Star, but we could still take these planets out with a, with a planetary bombardment from the Star Destroyer. Right. That's what the and, Star
0: Destroyers used to be able to threaten to do before the Death Star. Right. Yeah, No, yeah. So, oh, that's a horrible, horrible thing. Like, just to like... Bring a piece of Alderaan just set it like as and just put it in her throne room as a display, as a constant reminder of just like the horror and the death that could befall our planet. Yeah. Oh, I I I actually I really love that whole little like uh flashback kind of like explanation, that that backup story. Um, because you know, like she's she's there with all of her, you know, her her consoles and her consorts and her her guards and everything, and they're having this very public you know a negotiation of, of what he expects from her and like one of her her like you know like lieutenants or, or somebody's just like you can't talk to her. like this is our queen we're not gonna let you talk to her and she's like you you idiot he's gonna vader is gonna kill you now for talking back to him and then she just kind of like looks at vader she's like you're gonna kill them anyway aren't you <laughs>
1: and well and actually like, what do you remember what she does like well what she, she, a, shoots what the the who, she shoots the guy she yeah. And one of like one of her other, he, he yeah. raises his gun at Vader and says, "You can't talk to my our queen like this." She takes a gun and shoots him in the face. Yeah. And one of her like advisors is like, "His family is going to be very upset about that." And she's like, "You idiot!" He's gonna he would have killed you all. And then Vader like pulls out his his <laughs> lightsaber and she goes, "Oh, she's like, I am a fool." She's I, like, "There can't like there can't be any um there can't be any witnesses." And then he kills all of them. Mm-hmm. Butchers <laughs> everyone. There.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. What did you think of the art for the
2: story?
1: Um, it's all right. Like it does its job. It's um. There's many moments where um. It, it looks like the the references is stills from from movies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so like that kind of takes me out of the moment a little bit. Um, I kind of get caught up in like that looks like Leia when she's yelling at Han in the Hoth base yeah. or um, moments like that. And, and I mean, it's there's there's definitely art styles that I really have a hard time reading. And this isn't one of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I it doesn't distract like it doesn't distract me that much when I run into frames like that. I kind of, you know, kind of pulls me out of the moment. Um, yeah. There's just kind of a static nature to them.
0: Yeah, Salvador Larocca is kind of a a, a polarizing artist. Um, he, he I do his, like
1: his ships though. Well, ships. Uh, yeah, I was gonna, his, I was going to
0: get to that because yeah. like his, his style his has evolved over the, over, yeah. over the years. Um, he he had a run on Iron Man for a couple of years that I really really liked, but. His style has changed so much, though, and now, like, I think, like, gosh, he, I think he does like almost exclusively a lot of licensed properties on like movies and stuff. Like, he's done, he's been working on the Star Wars books for years, pretty much since they launched, and now he's do Like, now Marvel has the rights to publish Aliens, and he's working on that. And I don't know if it's something about them being licensed properties that originated as movies, but he really has picked up a style where he's just. He's imitating or tracing in some cases, just like still, like you, you, you pointed out, like they're direct lifts from movie screenshots that he's just replicating. And sometimes you can be, I mean, if, if it's a newcomer, somebody who's not familiar just with general comics and they open this up and that's like, wow, that looks just like the movie. That might be uh, an in and, and something that's really appealing to a new reader. Um, So that could be a really a real draw if you see the similarities. But there are also other times where it's like, okay, yeah, you're drawing that scene of Leia's face when she was confronting Han and uh, Hawking and you're using the exact same visual image, but maybe the emotional beat in the scene isn't quite right. And if you're that faithful to the actor's image in the scene, like it's like sometimes it can be a little bit jarring and sometimes it can be a little bit lazy. So yeah, I, I, I do feel time. I mean, there are times when I, I think that kind of like the art is a little bit stiff that way. As if it looks just too much, like he's just doing photo reference. But as you were pointing out, I think that that is limited to when he's drawing the, the, the humans or the characters, because mm. the action sequences, when he's drawing the ships or the battles or the stations and everything like that, then the photo references like they I mean, they're looking just like like movie stills and movie images. And I, I think they skirt by. And because this story has so much of that, um, I think it's very, very impressive when he's drawing, you know, the dogfight so the chase sequences with the ships or the falcon. So I think a lot of his exteriors, his world buildings, his set pieces when you're dealing with the ships and the combat, I think that looks great. But sometimes it's like the the very human moments where it's just kind of eh, and not. It's it feels sort of overly rendered, like a painted version of a, a movie. Still, so.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You mentioned though that you really loved the cover to issue fifty. Um, oh yeah, which it's is like not poster. by Sal That's one's actually done by a guy named Travis Cherist, uh, and that's a really cool cover.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I I like the creativity of um, of how the the frames come together in the action sequences too. Um, like they, you know, he has some box frames. He has some open frames. There's some really cool images where like the, the Falcon is, is kind of flying over scenes like cockpit scenes or interior scenes. There's one where the like um, Vader hits the Falcon at one point and sends it into a spin And there's a full page. I don't know if you remember this one. There's a full page image where the the Falcon shows up four times on the, the, on the page and like spinning star, like a field of spinning stars. And then like a, you know, a a frame where Han and and 3PO are in the cockpit and they're like, you know, kind of cockeyed too. And there's, there's such a sense of movement. So um, I, I really, I like that a lot during this sequence, Han succeeds and, and gets 3PO, um, onto Dudana's ship, and Luke is insubordinate, which honestly, like, you, if you, if we start tracking all the times where, like, Luke doesn't like, listen to orders, <laughs> um, it's, it's like, he's lucky they like him. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's a there's a great moment where you know Luke finds out that they should be able to fly at the doors and it's kind of like you know, supermarket doors. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they, they sense you coming and they open, right? Uh, the, the same is true, like these are very specialized doors where it's like if you're broadcasting a a rebel signal, then it will open for you. Like they're fail-safes. And so he jumps into a ship and Dudana orders him down. He, he said, like, mm-hmm. he ordered, he says, Skywalker, stand down. And he, he's like, no, like, we've got to do this. And, and he says, we you, have you to said, run
0: tests. You said Dudanna's a buzzkill in the story. <laughs> he really he is. He
1: so <laughs> is. Well, there's a scene, like, at the beginning where, where Luke is, like, super excited that they have this fleet. And Dudana's just, like, you know, stop being excited about this. And, and it's, like, why? <laughs> like, is, <laughs> isn't that why? You're having a celebration. to <laughs> to like commemorate this fleet and then he's just like stop being happy so i i don't know <laughs> um, it, it happens a few times and then you know we'll we'll talk about the end of that but anyway um dudana orders him down and insists that they have to run tests and then luke says you know in his fashion like i'll be your test and then flies out the doors um and when he's flying out the doors he he has he has a great couple lines, which I, I think I need to actually pull up the frames to make Yeah, sure it's a, a great
0: way. exchange with R2. Uh,
1: yes. So Dudana says, uh, Stand down, Skywalker. And um, Luke says, General Dudana Han Solo got a message through. Trust me, the doors will open. There's no time to waste. And he says, Maybe they will, but we need to run tests, which really, <laughs> <laughs> all the ships are getting blown up. Like, why wouldn't you fly an X Wing into a door? Like what like what does it matter? The, the ship's gonna get blown up. Um and, and so Luke's response is and there's a great shot like of the X Wing and it just says, understood, I'll be your test. And then Jud- <laughs> Judani yells, Skywalker, stand down. And Luke says, Well, I guess this is what Jin Urso felt like. Okay, R2, any signs of an opening? And then he says, Wait, that I'm not sure it will. So I, I love R2. <laughs> um, and so Luke says, Great, I trust the force to st- I trust the force. I save the galaxy. But if I die, it's because I trusted three PO. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. Like i I wanted to I wanted to just touch on this before we move on to the next part because Luke references Jyn Erso here, mm-hmm. basically, like because he he's he's not following orders, right? He's being insubordinate. Jyn Erso was dead by the time luke joined the rebellion right right? they never met they never interacted in fact she wasn't a well-established member of the rebellion either remember she showed up and people didn't trust her and wouldn't listen to her and they never saw her again right she she left she stole the plans she beamed them up to their ship and then and then she died doing that so the fact that he knows her name and knows her story means that the rebels have been talking about this yeah. And, yeah and and she's and she's been elevated to almost a legend status
0: yeah it's a very cool yeah. detail
1: yeah yeah absolutely and, and without without the really him saying anything else and so they he flies out his you know wedge and the others follow him and then um wedge asks for a call sign i'm not sure why like i guess they haven't flown together before.
0: <laughs> um, I mean they yeah, I, I'm not sure why they weren't just considered red squadron again, but whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a good moment. So, you so, know, Wedge says no time for sentiment. We need a we need a call sign and he's and you know, looks like I disagree. I think this is definitely time for sentiment. And so he calls their new um newly formed squadron, Rogue Squadron in um in honor of so. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Yeah, it's another, like, those little details, those little nods to Rogue One and Jin Erso. I was surprised at how effective I thought they were done uh, with minimal effort. Um, and this whole, you know, story arc, I mean, there, there's three years of time between the first Star Wars A New Hope and then The Empire Strikes Back, and there have been countless comics books anthologies video games the stories kind of like set set in them and and what makes this one distinct as a story set in between but i really think this does work as as a kind of a, a step like a, a logical point between them because you know, Star so Wars was called a New Hope, and the story right between that with Jin, Rogue One, like she was always about like rebellions are built on hope. Hope was such a big thing. It was Leia's last line in Rogue One. That was you know the last line that this whole thing about hope. Um, so this definitely feels like the Empire's response to that, with Vader saying, "Target hope. Hope dies. Like that's the that's the thing he wants to crush. That is why." They don't just show up and just start obliterating the fleet right away. He wants to send a message to the entire galaxy and to anybody who thinks they might stand up and rebel that this is what you do. And then it's in the aftermath of this that you see where the rebels are in the Empire Strikes Back, where after they've had this major victory the last time we saw them, they're back on their heels and they're being chased to the edge of the galaxy. So I, I do think this really kind of works as a response to what we saw and kind of setting up. Um, and just the way they the way they make reference to things like uh, Rogue One and, and Jin Urso, I think it's really, really effectively done. Without being so overwhelming and so obvious about it. Alright, the second half of the story. Part four. Rogue Squadron and a battered Millennium Falcon engage the Imperial fleet. The other rebels hold the TIE Fighters off long enough for Luke to get Admiral Akbar's attention and fly through the bay doors of Harris Sindula's ship. Akbar sees the doors open and gets the message. He orders his own fighters to launch and counterattack while spreading the word to the rest of the rebel fleet. Han pilots the Falcon towards Akbar's ship, but Darth Vader hasn't given up the chase. The all but crippled Falcon only manages to land in Akbar's ship by flipping over and skidding into a docking bay upside down.
1: Meanwhile, Princess Leia learns that the bypass codes for all of Queen Trios' sabotage systems are not on the Shutoran ship. They're on the Superstar Destroyer. Draven volunteers to lead a Spec Force team on an info raid of the Imperial Flagship. Leia goes with them, taking the Shutoran ship as the Empire would be expecting it to arrive during the fight. Plus, Leia knows how to impersonate Queen Trios and get them through the Empire's security. Leia, Draven, and his team land on Darth Vader's personal docking bay. They storm the ship, looking for a data port to slice and get the codes they need. Vader, upon hearing that Queen Trios has returned, flies back to the Executor. Once there, he realizes what the Rebels are doing. He ignites his lightsaber and goes hunting.
0: Part 5. With the Falcon disabled in Akbar's ship, Han Solo jumps into an available X-Wing and rejoins the battle, leaving an irritated Chewbacca behind. Aboard the Executor, Leia's team gets the bypass codes, but Darth Vader is murdering his way toward them. Leia and Draven and half of their team make it to a small fighter bay with one TIE fighter. Draven orders Leia to get aboard and take the codes to the rebels while he stalls Vader. The Dark Lord cuts his way into the bay. He massacres the Specforce team and force chokes Draven, but Leia escapes in the TIE fighter.
1: Which presents a whole new problem for her because the Rebels don't know it's her in the TIE, and she has no way of communicating to her friends that she's not one more random Imperial in the center of this frenzied battle. Naturally, of all the Rebels out there, it's Luke Skywalker and Han Solo who drop on her tail, ready to blast Leia into space. A warning from the Force causes Luke to hesitate, and Leia takes the opportunity to open fire on other TIE fighters, signaling to her friends that she's on their side. However, the rebel ships won't open for an Imperial fighter, so Luke and Han have to escort her, flying in front of and behind her fighter. Luke's X-Wing is damaged just before they reach Dudana's ship. Leia gives them the bypass codes, and all the systems immediately return. General Dudana orders his ship to hyperspace. They copy the codes aboard smaller transport ships that can fly back to the battle and help the rest of the fleet. But Leia argues that Dudana's capital ship needs to go back there and fight giving the Mako-Tai base enough time to evacuate the rebel dignitaries. Dudana reluctantly agrees, ordering his ship to return, knowing it could mean the death of them all.
0: Part 6. The battleship Republic drops back into the mako system behind the Super Star Destroyer and opens fire. While the Empire's attention is diverted, all of Dudana's transport ships drop out of hyperspace, each one carrying the bypass codes that can restart the Rebel fleet's systems. Han Solo escorts the transports from an X-Wing with R2-D2 behind him. Luke and Leia take one transport to the mako station to pick up Mon Mothma and the dignitaries. At the same time, Admiral Akbar, General Sundula, and the remaining ships recover. They engage with the Empire while the rest of the fleet warms up before they start dispersing, jumping to their prearranged secret destinations. Han's X-Wing is disabled in the battle. Luke and Leia leave their transport with Mothma and the Ambassadors. They take another ship and pick up Han and R2. General Dodana goes down with the Republic, which explodes as the last of the rebel ships escape.
1: After they land on a faraway moon, Luke, Leia, and Han get a message from Mothma that they have been promoted. And while the rebellion has been badly wounded, they are not defeated. They must regroup find each other, and find new ways to hurt the Empire. For Han's part, he mostly wants to find Chewie and the Falcon. Darth Vader reports to the Emperor. While the Rebellion has not been completely annihilated, Vader believes that the destruction wreaked on them will send a message throughout the galaxy, that the Empire is as strong as ever and they cannot be stopped.
0: Okay, um, one, one of the notes that I had is, I think this is the sixth or fifth different way that General Dodonna has died in, in
1: Star Wars. Oh, poor guy.
0: Yeah, that's like one of the most famous stories that is explored in uh In Star Wars fiction is why, you know, why the change of leadership between all of the movies, like what happened to General Dodonna? And it's been explored in the old Marvel comics and the Dark Horse comics, I think in a role playing game supplement. Um, It's every, yeah, every different story is like, okay, how how does General Dodonna die between the movies? Uh, (laughs) And this is the new one. So that's, that's what he gets for being the buzzkill. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah and he really is the whole way like even even when they're like hey we need to go back and save everyone he's like "Uh, do uh, we yes. <laughs> it's like really really um okay there's some interesting things here um so that that random air show at the beginning <laughs> what is going on here like x-wings <laughs> could do that why would x-wings be able to do that so that comes back and <laughs> luke uses his little weird color streaming jet trail, whatever it is. Whatever it is. I don't know what that is or how they installed it, but whatever. He turns that on, turns himself into a huge target, Mm. which everyone comments on. They're just like, Hey man, everyone's shooting at you now because you're, you've (laughs) got a giant, like you've got a giant blue tail, but it works, right? There's actually, and I think this is a moment where they do over explain a little bit in the um, exposition because Admiral Akbar goes, that, that X-Wing is turned on his display tail. That's very dangerous. He's made himself a target. I guess I'll watch him <laughs> see what he wants. <laughs> like, he wants to show me something. It's like, okay, yeah, we got it. We got it. But it, it works. We, the commanders watch him and they see what happens. And the, then they know how to get their fighters out of their <laughs> um, their launch base. So that's great. I, I have to say, one of my favorite sequences of this, um, of this story arc is is Leia and Draven infiltrating the Executor? Yes. Yeah, yeah. um, there's so many layers of this that is so cool. They they steal Queen Trios's fancy yacht, and it is quite <laughs> it is quite fancy. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has it, it has like a, a some kind of tattoo looking flame like. It's is very ordinary Yeah, it's got like a whole job.
0: blue and gold. You know, like flare. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's very pretty. Anyway, um, Leia, Leia pretends to be um, Trios and, and basically comments that she knows that how to act like a, a royal. And so she, um, they, they dock with the Executor, and they are um, they are sent to Lord Vader's private docking bay, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and then they they proceed to try to find a, a port to, to slice. And um, there's this great scene where, where Draven's like, you know, we got to move and, and Leia's like, Oh yeah, like uh, another ship blew up. Well, she was, you know, a little bit more worried about it than that, but it, it's like, they suddenly see that there's this tiny dot emerging out of the flames and, and it's the the, the lone tie fighter um, with Lord, Va- you know, Lord Vader is coming and, what Are some of the terminologies they use like first? Oh, first, it's let, let's run the anti Vader drill. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and and they they make subset of it's like that involves flamethrowers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Draven is, is disappointed that he doesn't have a flamethrower, and so they they leave like a, a a guard behind to slow him down. Of course, when they call back to, to get a status, like they're they're all dead. Um, and, and so they, they finally find a hangar where there's one TIE fighter, which I get the, it's another one of those moments, like the drama where like, I get that this is, you know, more exciting when there's only one TIE fighter, but really there's only one TIE fighter. <laughs> and, um, if there's only one TIE fighter, that probably means it doesn't work. I don't know. But anyway, there's only one TIE fighter. And so only one person can escape. And, and of course it's going to be Leia. and. No, Leia tries to send Draven, and Draven kind of like has this odd moment where he's like, no, I've never been able to get over the fact that I was wrong and Jyn Erso was right, and so I'm going to stay back and sacrifice myself um, like Jyn Erso did. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, a, like, it's a nice little callback, and for, and for the listeners, if you're not sure, Draven was like the senior officer in Rogue One who sent Cassian and to murder Jin's father. He basically just said, like, we can't trust this, you know, if you get the chance, kill Galen Erso, and yeah, his whole thing was he never trusted, he was the he was the pessimist, he was the dour face guy, and and this is this little moment, he's like, I screwed up, I was wrong, and she got to, she was right, and she got to be the hero, and everybody loves Jin Erso, this legend that we were talking about, that everybody remembers her, it's like, nobody's gonna remember me, but maybe... This will be his one chance at sort of redemption is his his last stand, his last feudal stand against Darth Vader, which when I think of the anti-Vader protocols, I think of, okay, this is another response to the end of Rogue One when Vader is just cutting yes. a swath <laughs> of all of the rebel troopers like on his way to get to the Tantive. To to get to Princess Leia's ship before that, somebody was reviewing the tapes and said, "Okay, we need to do better than that next time. What <laughs> what can we do? How can we actually slow him down for a little bit longer?" And unfortunately, they really don't.
1: <laughs> like they, just, they don't.
0: Yeah, yeah he, no, They and- like, they just they get massacred just as easily. And and Draven's last words are you know pretty futile.
1: Oh right, and okay he tells him to take positions and he he calls it Vader engagement drill. And then he <laughs> says, for what it's worth, what I'd give for a flamethrower. <laughs> like, um, so, so there's, there's a, a lot of great lines, but I, I think I mentioned to you that not only, not only is like Vader super dramatic during this, the story arc, but like I, I said earlier, he has these, these mic drop moments. When he's on his way back to the ship, one of his commanders is um, is kind of panicking a little bit because the the, the Republic got its operating systems back and jumped back in and was shooting at them. And um, something he orders them to do something. And and um, I think Ozil tells him that they would be in danger. And Vader's response is we are the only danger here. <laughs> and, and then he he comes, he comes back and he's um, he's coming through all of the, um, the rebels who are trying to hold him back and Draven Everyone's dead except for Draven, and, and Vader is, is holding him up in the air in a Force choke. Like, not with his hands, with the Force. And Draven's last words were, um, we win. All we had to do was slow you down. And Vader's response is, my congratulations, as he snaps his neck. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another great moment for Leia is her in the TIE fighter. She's lucky that, that Luke trusts his feelings because um han is about to shoot her
0: that was one of those things like where we see like when i was when you know she flies out there and luke and han are on her tail I was like those are the two best pilots in the galaxy and Mm -hmm. and leia's gonna have to get away from them and and she can't radio them she and she's like scrambling around she's like how how can i like communicate them and she realizes that the tie fighter pilots communicators are in their helmets and she's not wearing a flight suit
1: right (laughs) and she's not and um Luke is, I don't know, a little bit too um, perceptive in this moment Mm -hmm. where he just, like, first he just says it feels wrong, and then he he notices that she's not flying like an academy pilot, which I'm not sure why he. Okay, I guess he notices how academy trained pilots fly, but um, that's fine. But what does it is is Leia blows up another Tie Fighter, which is smart thing to do. (laughs) Is very smart. They they still have no idea who she is. Right, but they're like, okay, good enough, and and Luke picks up on the fact that she is trying to get to one of the get to one of the capital ships, and they line up to escort her. You know, one is one is in front of her, and one is behind her, and and she just kind of she has this moment where she says, "Such gentlemen."
0: <laughs> it's, it's like they're walking in arm in arm, like the three of them. And I'm
1: not sure how she knows it's Luke and Han either but like she truth, didn't even truth. realize that han's there han's never floated an x-wing right but right that's a big deal on this one yeah it's a very it's a very cute moment <laughs>
0: yeah, he actually um, makes the comment because because chewy is pissed off that that han is going alone and Tom's like i'm sorry they don't make x-wings with cockpits right? big enough for Wookiees. <laughs>
1: right he's like you won't fit even if we rip seats out yeah. <laughs> um, um as they're as they're flying in it is um this actually reminds me a lot of the uh, the Death Star trench run, um, mm-hmm. because because they are locked into position um, to fly to get her through the doors because they, they can't deviate to protect themselves because if they do, right. she's going to hit the doors and um, and so he basically just says like hey other people have to cover me and um, and he gets hit mm-hmm. um, as they're they're taking as they're they're taking her into the um, the landing bay. And it, the, the shot actually, you know, we're talking about these cinematic shots that are kind of copied from movies. (laughs) Like the shot of, of Luke getting hit, um, looks like the shot of, um, who is it? Who is it? Biggs? I think it's Biggs who gets like hit from behind in the Death Star trench. Yeah, And it, it looks almost exactly like that. So they, um, they land, and Leia passes off the data stick to a, ca- a minor character that we haven't mentioned yet, but she keeps showing up. She, um, her name is Miorti. Yep. Um, she shows up when they try to launch, like the first time they try to launch, she's the one who warns them that the, the bay doors are malfunctioning and they won't open. Later when she doesn't really have anything to do, once they figured out the launch doors will open, she puts C3PO back together. Mm-hmm. And then in this moment when Leia jumps out of the TIE fighter, she hands off the um the data stick with the override codes to Miorte and you know fixes Dudana's ship. And then she comes back and she she pilots one of the shuttles when they Yeah, come and back. Han, give,
0: Han gives her cover so that she can yeah.
1: Right. And she's she's frightened, right? She's well she's
0: I mean she's she's a, she's a, technician. a technician she's a field technician I, I couldn't I couldn't help but and I'm trying to think now because this Kind of
1: uh, reminds you of Rose doesn't
0: it? I, well, I was trying to th- I was I was to kind of say I was like this is good Rose Tico like this is the, <laughs> this is the one that wouldn't annoy the fans because of she doesn't hijack the story and that's that's really unfair Um, but like, but yeah, she's, she's the type of, she's the Rose Tico type of character who's just there as a support, who's not the hero and isn't supposed to be doing the heroic stuff. And then at the end, yeah, she has to pilot one of these transport ships in through the the bay doors and and save one of these big capital ships by herself. Mm -hmm. And Han is there to back her up. And and she like, when, when the ties coming down, like she swerves out of the way, she's like, I can't do this. And Han is like, I will make sure you get there. Stay on target is like fly straight and I will keep you protected. And then yeah, and the there's the the nice little coda at the very end when when three PO and R two are talking about her and and he's like yeah three PO says I was happy to hear that Mirti lived, um, and he's like you're right Mirti is a very pretty name it means dot 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 hope so hope lives
1: yes hope lives mm-hmm. there's a couple like little details that you and I were gonna pick out of this mm-hmm. um, yeah um,
0: I mean like we said like I. I mean, I just, I, I like seeing, you know, familiar faces like from the Rebels cartoon. So every time we saw Hera Syndulla, I was like, yeah, that's awesome, cool. Um, and yeah, you you notice it too, that they actually, they give the name of her ship because she's in command of one of her own, her own capital ships in this. Um, and it's called the Geist, um, which I find interesting because Geist means spirit or, you know, something kind of close to ghost. And the ghost was her ship in the Rebels animated series. And, and Geist can mean a, a spirit sort of in that supernatural sense, but also just kind of like a.
1: Like the spirit of a group. or Yeah. Group.
0: Yeah. Or something like that. I mean, you think of like Zeitgeist is like spirit of the times or spirit of the moment mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, the Geist can have something to do with that. So I just kind of thought that that's interesting that the two ships she's associated with are Ghost and Geist both have this kind of very, very sort of similar in meaning and, and maybe if there was, if, if I'm assuming Karen Gillan made this up for the story, and I wondered if he imagined something in her background that might have supported that or something. But I don't know.
1: I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, just highlight the fact that at the end they are they have crash landed on a moon, and <laughs> Mon Mothwa does promote all of them, but like leaves them stranded on this moon, <laughs> 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 crashed, and um, like I I. I actually feel like I need to read the next the next issue to figure out how they get out of this. Mm. Um but you no, know, one of one of the highlights, like one of the, the well, one of the important details is that Chewy and the Falcon are still on um
0: Admiral Akbar's ship.
1: Yeah, Admiral Ackbar. I'm trying to try to remember which ship they crashed on. Yeah, they were on Akbar's. And and like this is this is where this started for me, where I was doing research about ships and I and I found out that the Falcon got so badly damaged. The Falcon is a mess <laughs> in this. Like, I, I don't, like, it, it's a mess. It's upside
0: down true? the last time we yeah, see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it lands upside down. With its landing, landing struts, struts like can, for true. <laughs> and how do they fix that? Like, how do you get, <laughs> any, anyway, like, b- beyond that, like, even before the, even before Han crashed the Falcon into the landing bay, Luke first comes out into the battle and is flying kind of next to the Falcon. And he's just like, Han, what happened? The Falcon looks like it's about to fall apart. Right. And then Han's like, Darth Vader happened, but it's a mess, <laughs> right? The, uh-huh. the, the, it's been, um, it, it's almost, it is really almost falling apart. And, and Han has to crash it into this landing bay. Cause they can't fly it anymore. And then they crash it upside down. And I don't know what they do. <laughs> Between um, this and the next time that thing flies, but it's a mess. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think um, they're still they're still fixing it. Like it, it, when they're on hoff, I think they're still yes. fixing some of the damage that's still from from this battle. So
1: I think yeah. right, which is is a kind thing to do because I always just thought like I mean the Falcons always just talked about like it's a piece of junk oh. and and it fits very well into that. Um, into that storyline is just like, oh, it just keeps falling apart. But when you add this, it, it kind of makes the, the Falcon a little bit more sympathetic. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the ship that Luke and Leia pilot in the last chapter when they rescue Han, when they like basically shoot the Han's disabled X-Wing with a tow cable and lure it in, it's yeah. the ship that they're crashed on on the moon. Yes. That ship looks really familiar to me. It's something I think from the expanded universe. I want to say that ship debuted... In the book, the Truce at Bakura, it was like the rebel flagship that they were on in that mm-hmm. one. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 most, it's mostly ship. it's mostly a ship carrier, but I just, I looked at that and I was like, that looks really familiar. But I think it's an old school, like 1990s, you know, Dark, dark Horse or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, some of the Del Rey books ships.
1: And that's a very sweet moment too. The fact that Luke and Leia really should have just gotten out of there and they <laughs> refused Right, they they wouldn't leave without Han. Right, right. Um. Who, who
0: has a flask is it in the cockpit? <laughs> I know, like he's this expecting this. How he's gonna well, die? Gonna and, and he's talking to R two, and he's like, what, "What do they have?" It's like, um, yeah, he's like basically like this is as General Dodonna's ship just explodes and. Uh, Han's X-wing is just kind of floating in space, completely disabled. And he's like, "I had no idea I'd go out this way." And he's holding up like a whiskey flask. Like but this is good company to be in. And you get a blurb from R two. And he's like, "The translator is down, which means I have no idea what you're saying." But I'm gonna assume you're agreeing. <laughs> and,
1: it's- <laughs> and it's actually funny they they don't they don't harp on it too much. But there's some there's a funny exchange between Han and and R two when we don't know what's what's being said and. I think I mentioned this to you that I feel like R2 is probably the funniest character oh, yeah. in Star Wars, but no one knows what he's saying. And he's, <laughs> he must have like a really foul mouth. Yep. Um, but there's um, Han is in an X-Wing, which is, is interesting to me. Like Luke's X-Wing is out of commission. Like I get that, but mm-hmm. like between Han and Luke, like who should take the X-Wing? really yeah yeah <laughs> luke probably should have han- jumped in the other yeah. one yeah and <laughs> yeah, i don't know why han isn't in the the, the um the transport the with shuttle. Leia. yeah in the shuttle with leia but it, it, i guess he is um
0: well i think so- you know i i know i think it's actually because luke is injured when his ship is when his x-wing oh, is hit yeah, because is. at the end of chapter five like he's in like an arm brace he's he's not like he, he's he's kind of beaten up because i think actually leia is piloting the transport and luke is just with her
1: i think you're right yeah you're absolutely right so yeah as they're as they're leaving luke tells r2 to be nice to han and, <laughs> yeah. and he's like you know I'll, I'll be flying with you again soon and leia makes this comment of i thought i thought 3po was the neurotic one luke and <laughs> and, and then later there's an exchange um where where han calls uh R2 a rust bucket and says like, you know, basically deal with it. You're flying with me, or you can eject yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so I Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what R2 say, but he's not happy about flying with Han.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, overall, I mean, I, I was I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, I had kind of written off, you know, the the new Star Wars comics as you know, just kind of, uh, I wasn't really feeling them as much. And then when you kind of discovered some of the events in the story and you were kind of describing to me, I was like, all right, well, let me, let me take a look at this. Um, and I breezed through these issues really quickly one time, like uh, this, how was this a year ago or something? When we first discovered this, we thinking mm-hmm. about doing this. And so, yeah, I, I was really, really enjoying it without having the context because, you know, it's been I hadn't read the 20 issues that preceded this, um, but I've gone back and started to read a little bit more. And um, Karen Gillen, I think he I think he'd been on the book for about a year writing the title before this one. And I'm really getting the impression that like it was a slow build up to this point, like he was planting the seeds earlier. Um, cause he had like stories that they reference, they reference in here, like an operation on Jeddah, which was the planet, um, from Rogue One. Um, and then there's this whole thing with the Mon Calamari defection and the story before this and, and where we first meet Queen Trios. Um, so it's, it seems like it was a slow build and I'm just really impressed. I think he's, he's a really good writer for this world, uh, for these characters, um, And like I was telling you, he has, he, he has a really good blend of humor and action at this, at the right points that he can drop them in with precision to kind of make it feel fun while still understanding the stakes. Cause this is a, this is a heavy thing. I mean, like we said, like there's, there's a, you know, the first chapter is a lot of setup and then it's five pages of action with the rebels mostly getting their butt kicked. Um, and they lose a lot of, you know, a huge chunk of this fleet is decimated, and we lose senior members like G- General Dodonna and General Draven.
1: Something I like about us discovering these six issues is, as I was saying, um, I've been trying to read Star Wars and Darth Vader, and because there's so many of them and I'm behind, I'm, I'm finding them overwhelming and I'm finding them hard to get into. And hopefully, Um, us highlighting these, these six issues kind of helps other people kind of see that they, they can jump in at points and, and read just like a story arc and then hop around and and kind of get into it and get a feel for the story. Um, there's a few other arcs like this that I would, I would love to talk about sometime. We mentioned the Screaming Citadel, which I honestly would like to talk about just because it's kind of not only would the, the, the intersecting three books but also, it's just so bizarre. <laughs> it's just the most bizarre story. Um, so I, I kind of find that a, a funny one to cover. There's also a story arc of um, Luke being captured on Nahlhada, which I think people wouldn't like really enjoy. Like I, I really like that story arc where there, there's kind of these gaps in Luke's training where, you know, we see him training on Dagaba. With like, well, we see him have like five minutes of training with, with Ben Kenobi on the, the Falcon on the way to um, Alderaan. And then we see him, you know, training with Yoda, with Yoda on his back, with him doing backflips um, or somersaults and, you know, lifting rocks. And then we get to uh, return, well, we get to return the Jedi where like Luke can use a lightsaber. And I've always been like, huh, how, how did that happen? Um, but but I mean, even in in Empire Strikes Back, like he he's being toyed with by Vader, but he's not like he at least knows how to to swing a lightsaber without huh, cutting off his hand. no, um, he didn't do that. <laughs> but anyway, i I think he there's there's some there there's some indication that he had some sort of actual physical training, and that's kind of accounted for in in some of these these side stories. Mm-hmm. um covered by the Marvel comics and especially that that story arc on to kind of um makes sense in terms of him knowing how to use a lightsaber at least yeah. in a rudimentary way um and not like he is with the you know the remote on the the falcon yep. so i i don't know i there's there's lots of like little self-contained arcs that um are are pretty i i find interesting and they also yeah. they they cover again how vader finds out luke's name and things like that which had been covered by i was it marvel like back in the 90s or something they they covered
0: yeah that's another one but
1: it was a totally different um (laughs) storyline
0: just like what happens to general Dodonna. that's the other most often repeated and retcon retread stories how does darth vader figure out who the rebel was who blew up the death star and make the the familial connection yeah
1: yeah, because the, it was genius hiding job naming him Luke Skywalker. But.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I, said, I mean, it's a it's a really fun story. Like tons of action, tons of drama. Um, like it's it, this would be a, a crushing blow. I mean, this this definitely feels more in the spirit of The Empire Strikes Back, where this is the rebels getting their asses handed to them, but through the grit and the determination and and the the spirit of the the heroes that we know and love they're ma- they're able to save themselves and save a lot of their friends and and we do still see you know enough ships scatter into the wind that we do have the, kind of the fledgling birth of the rebel fleet out of the story um yeah, it's, it's a very, very fun story and it's a very quick read, as I was describing. Um, if listeners, you want to check this out. It, I know the story has been collected in trade paperback form, but you can find it digitally on Comixology. You can find it on the Marvel Digital Unlimited app. Um, very, very cool. So. Uh, yeah, Ange. Thank you so much for you know bringing this to our attention because just just you going down that rabbit hole or the the Maw black hole of of Wikipedia, uh, eventually found this uh, this little uh, you know nugget of gold that was a, a really cool story that I enjoyed. So
1: well, I'm I'm glad I found something of value. <laughs> I still didn't really figure out exactly what's going on with the razor crest, but at least I. I found out about the Millennium Falcon being I, I, almost scrapped.
0: I, yeah, I, I think you're right in that it is the name of the type of ship, but they were so rare and it's also so old that it's like, like, like you're right. If there was only one Camaro out there, you would just call it the Camaro.
1: So, so it's the the Razor Crest is kind of like the El Camino of ships.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's much more like that than the Camaro, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, before before I let you go, uh, you do have to answer the new Galactic Questionnaire 5.0, which I did not prepare you for.
1: You didn't. You did not warn me about this at all.
0: I'm springing this one on you. Uh-huh. Number one. Favorite character or creature at the Mos Eisley Cantina besides any of the main characters or Greedo?
1: Oh, that wolf guy that gets his arm cut off. <laughs> <The
0: wolf. laughs> it's actually it's, it's no, it's um, it's the walrus man who gets his arm cut off. It just looks like a werewolf's hand because they just didn't know how to match the, the prop. But eh.
1: wait, it wasn't a werewolf guy. Hold on, I better look that up. The
0: hand that you that it cuts to that yeah, that the Kobe hand. It's it's walrus man's hand, but they did they didn't they matched they yeah they didn't know what mm. they were like yeah they
1: walrus Man has okay. Let's see, because there's like oh, what what is the name of that that?
0: The species of the character.
1: Yeah, the species.
0: Aqualish. And it's now cool. they've made oh, up. Cool. Yeah, because they have made up because they're oh. different shots of them. So some some members of the Aqualish have like suction cup hands, and some have like oh, furry both yeah. hands. But
1: okay, okay. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that because he's the only other character <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I, I'm assuming that Greedo is off the plate, and Han, and
0: yeah, and no, none of, none of those characters right? who have speaking lines count. You have to pick like just somebody from the background or something.
1: So I mean, those two, like the 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 um, the the Qualish that gets his arm cut off, and like the other guy who's with yeah. him, like who has it, you know, um you know, the death wanted, sentence and yeah. he's yeah, the death sentence, and how many star systems? I don't remember. Um, I, I just, I, they're so, they're like the, 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 random drunk guys who just like start fights in bars for no reason, right? Like he's not wanted anywhere. Like he, he's just like this drunk moisture farmer from down the road. Like the Tuscans stole his, his moisturizer and he lost a bunch of money and he's just drunk and starting a- fights with him.
0: That was a bit, and I don't remember where it originated. It was like funny or die or something. But there was some sketch where basically it translated the walrus man's like dialogue while he's barking. And he like bumps into Luke and he's he's really trying to apologize. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that and everything. But Luke can't understand them. And his buddy just walks away. He's like, he doesn't like you. I don't like you either. And the walrus man is like, what are you saying? Why are you saying that? Don't- He's like, we're wanted men. I have the death sentence of twelve systems. He's like, what? We don't. We're not wanted. What are you starting this fight for? And he's like, just Doctor Evazon, the, the human guy, gets him cut up by Obi Wan Kenobi because of misunderstanding. <laughs> all right, all right. Moving on. Question number two. Oh, and this is actually something that, that uh, we were just talking about with Rose Tico. If you really wanted to antagonize the haters, what beloved franchise would you reboot with Kelly Marie Tran in the lead?
1: Wait, what?
0: <laughs> so the so the people the like the people who hated the last Jedi, like they they targeted her specifically because racism and sexism, whatever. Um okay. and they basically harassed her until she left social media, like she quit Twitter and quit Facebook. So oh. if you just wanted to piss off those people, what movie like would you reboot and like make her the lead in, like make her the new Superman or something like that?
1: <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Cheese fry. This is a hard question. <laughs> um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh.
0: That's good. I like that.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: hey, oh, Kelly Marie Tran is a new Buffy. I would, I would like that. That's good. So, and can right.
1: set Neil on fire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's happened before. All right, number three. You owe job of the hut a lot of money. Would you rather take a shot at one pod race to pay off your debt or run spending the rest of your life dodging bounty hunters? Pod race. Yeah. Keep I, in mind, I
1: can't, according to it. According, according to
0: Anakin, I, he's the only human who's ever been able to do it.
1: So Anakin's kind of an asshole.
0: <laughs> he's also a kid. What does he know? I don't
1: know. I was gonna say, I don't know if you've noticed.
0: all right well thank you one more time uh for being my guest on this episode i'm sure the listeners will be happy to hear it
1: thanks for having me i know it's very difficult for us to get our schedules to line up you know what
0: (laughs) anyway uh folks we are going to take a promo break right now stick around because on the other side i will respond to the listener feedback from the last episode don't go away
2: (laughs) Monthly, monthly, monthly! It's Action Film Face-Off! Hello, I'm Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht, and I'd like to tell you about a podcast I do with my brother, Jared Albrecht, yard sale artist. Action Film Face-Off! Yes, thank you, Jared. Action Film Face Off is a podcast where my brother and I, who are both military combat vets,
0: Jason was a Navy
2: SEAL. Jason was not a Navy SEAL. Jason was a military intelligence wing. But anyway, in each episode of Action Film Face Off, we select two different action films. Some of them have Chuck Norris. Technically speaking, none of them have had Chuck Norris yet, but it could happen because we use a randomizer set between 1970 and modern day to select our two films. So you'll always get two films each from a different year. Our randomizer has spikes on it. (sighs) We use a Google random number generator, so it does not have spikes on it. And we put the films into our video dome arena. It also has spikes. Does not have spikes? <laughs> but we discuss the films and score them through six different rounds of criteria. I score Bond films very high. Okay, that's true. But anyway, by the end of the episode, we crown one of the action films the champion of action film face-off.
0: Next episode, Jason bites a bear.
2: <laughs> Jason is not fighting a bear, but please give our show a listen. We're part of the Longbox Crusade Network of Shows. Pat Samson killed a man with a sword once. I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. But you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers under Longbox Crusade, or you can subscribe to just our show by searching for Action Film Face Off. Come see the blood fly! And that's Action Film Face Off. We do indeed invite you to come and see the blood fly.
0: I just said that. <laughs> All right, I'm back. And before I get to the feedback from last episode, I have to make a correction. Earlier in this episode, Angela described the Millennium Falcon as a YT-3000 freighter. That is inaccurate. The Falcon is actually a modified Corellian Engineering Corporation model YT-1400 light freighter. I mentioned this mistake to Angie after our recording. She insists that she knows the right model number. She just misspoke in the moment. (sighs) I would like to believe her, you know, for the sake of our marriage, but this is a hard one to get past. Anyway, let's get to your comments. On the last episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, I reviewed the High Republic novel Light of the Jedi with James Hickson and Jonathan Schaefer-Hames as my guests. As usual, we got some favorites and likes and shares on social media, and these are the comments that we received on the Fire & Water website, which you can always check out at fireandwaterpodcast.com first comment came from david escutierrez who said looking mighty forward to this discussion i tried i really did i tried to finish this book something just didn't fire for me yeah david might actually be in the majority in this case i've heard a lot of people either anecdotally or sometimes people that i know started reading the book and couldn't finish it or haven't finished it yet Uh, I mean, you heard us discuss the first third of the novel could be kind of a slog, even for those of us who finished reading it and enjoyed it. Uh, And again, as I said, I think I understand the logistical reason for why Charles Sewell wrote the book the way he did, but it might have been a simple miscalculation. If so many people are turned off the book in the first 50 to 100 pages, that's pretty damning. Um, I can't argue with that, so... But some people did read the whole book and liked it. So anyway, we'll move on. Uh, Mike Dines said, Excellent coverage, everyone. I certainly enjoyed listening to Jonathan and James hearing their viewpoints on this book, considering how differently they came to Star Wars. I enjoyed all three viewpoints on the novel. I've been looking forward to the High Republic setting and the new stories that can be told in this setting. I think, like you, as much as I love Luke Skywalker, I would like to see some new stories that don't have to do with the Skywalker clan. I'm still working through the Legends novels, so I probably won't get to this one for a while, but it's good to know that you enjoyed at least some parts of the novel. Are any of you looking forward to more stories set in the High Republic setting, or are you guys more looking forward to the Disney Plus series that take place in the Skywalker timeline? Um, I, I so to to the High Republic stuff. I have been reading what they've been producing. The, there's a a comic published by Marvel set in the High Republic. So far, the other books that have come out have been either for like young readers or junior readers, kind of at different um, different reading levels. Uh, there's one called The Test of Courage and there's one called Into the Dark. I've read them both. I. Did not enjoy them, but I don't think it's because of the setting. I think it's just uh, for for me for me, what I found is Star Wars has to kind of strike a particular balance of action and humor and adventure and character um and these um the the younger reader ones tend to be much more skimpy and frivolous on the action because uh, maybe it's it's for the the audience the the readers that they're looking at they they much more tend the the ones that I've been reading have had a lot more teen angst and melodrama and just stuff that as a reader of Star Wars, I don't care about and um the portrayal of the Jedi needs to be kind of careful in order for me to care about them so um. I'm worried. I mean, I, w- I was really high on this at first, and after the first book, but the more I've read, I, I haven't enjoyed the follow-ups. Now there's a new adult book coming out um, in June, um, so I'm looking forward to that just to see if that will you know re- rekindle my interest. If I know just what lane for the High Republic I need to follow, and it's basically if it's issuing the young reader stuff, the the junior novels, uh, in favor of just like the the main adult book content Uh, we'll we'll see, we'll see, I don't know Um, Neil Daly said, am I the only one that misses the soul crushing negativity of Angela Drew we all got spoiled after the Ahsoka episode well, you got her back Neil, as requested I hope her negativity was crushing enough for you uh Ciscoid said you made me want to read Star Wars books you monsters but really much of my exposure to Star Wars was originally through books and not the movies so that tracks consider me intrigued cool that's cool cool and the irredeemable Shag said, Dang it, you got me. I'm a sucker for Star Wars New Beginnings. I'm going to try this book now. Looking forward to it. If it sucks, I'm going to take it out of your due back. So that's the thing. We gave this book a review, and all these people are like, oh, this sounds really good. I'm going to read it. And now I also know of so many people who hated the book or couldn't finish it. So I feel like we're luring them into a trap, or we somehow you know, misrepresented the, the content. But... Uh, And the last comment, Brian Linton said, I have added this episode to my list of podcasts to listen to once I have had a chance to consume the appropriate content, right after the Supermates WandaVision episode. I look forward to hearing your discussion once I've read the book. Uh, Again, that's in in keeping with the theme, that's assuming you even finish the book. So, Once you do read it, assuming you finish it, let me know, though, and let me know if you enjoyed it, because I'll be curious about that uh yeah anyway that is going to be all for this episode of give me those star wars but the next episode should drop in either one week or possibly two weeks from now since i've already recorded it but that should be a lot of fun because it is me and paul hicks talking about lego star wars we had a blast and i can't wait to share it Uh, Then, on an upcoming episode, I'm going to talk to a very special guest about a very overlooked but still wonderful character from The Force Awakens. Is it Constable Zuvio? I'm not saying yet. You'll have to hold tight until I'm ready to announce. Until then, one more huge thanks to my wife Angela Drew for appearing on this episode and talking about the death of hope, something she is versed in. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. All music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give me those. Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.